I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Rowan, hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. Brad. Jo- joined with Brad. Steven. And Steven. Got the whole crew here. Not the Steven you might be thinking. Not the Steven you might know. Sorry, this might be confusing <laughs> for you. Steven. It really isn't the whole crew. It's New part Steven. of the crew. New Steven. Uh, Steven's been reborn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> PH Steven, which I said in the last intro, but oh, it's a really? bone of contention. Really? With V Steven. So. And if you want to hear me. more about this, you can listen to our episode with Steven Steven that recently dropped. Uh, where we there were talk four of them in the room. Where we, we have a very long Steve talk. <laughs> very long. About spelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So today on the podcast, we have a guest I've been trying to book since the podcast started five years ago. Um, and he moved to New York recently, which made it much easier. Uh, Duncan Trussell. He's obviously has his own really popular podcast, the... Uh, Duncan Trussell Family Hour that I learned about through Joe Rogan and Duncan's best friend from growing up is Emil Amos, who's been on this podcast a lot. Um, I do a podcast with Emil on Feral Audio called Drifter Sympathy. And when Duncan moved out here, I was like, Emil, you guys should come do a podcast together. And I kept bugging them and bugging them. And Duncan's been doing week, uh, monthly podcasts, live podcasts at the Bell House. So he's around and we ended up finally making it happen. Uh, and this is a really long podcast. I'm not sure, like, exactly what you're going to be hearing. But really good. But really good. But really <laughs> it's good. It's really good. It gets, it gets, it gets, we got all over the place. But, uh, but yeah, so thanks to Emil and Duncan for coming by. Uh, Emil has a million bands you should check out. Ohm, Grails, Holy Sons. You can check out our podcast. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, hopefully a lot of Duncan Trussell fans are listening to this and don't care about us at all and want to hear Duncan and Emil, which I totally get. So let's just get into it now with uh, Duncan Trussell on Going Off Track. Duncan, I want to say thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I've been emailing you for years, um, and I'm so happy that this worked out, and thanks to email too for making this happen. Wow, thank you. You got it. Should Um, we do a light applause since we made this happen? Sure. Uh, I was at your show you can record at, the, anything. at the Bell House the other night. You did a live podcast with Christian Das. Yes. It was great. Thank you. And it ended on a very weird note. Yes. Um, a Trump supporter yes. came up, a conspiracy Trump supporter, and yeah. sort of the vibe of the night was so positive. 
and you know Christian Dest did this beautiful kirtan, and then and I was saying I think you handled it really well. What was that like? How, how, like how do you kind of flow with that kind of stuff? Well, with okay, so it was a you know the, the vibe next to somebody like Krishna Das is great. So he's going to he has a bubble around him that is going to create a kind of behavior. Like I, I think people who have a, a real practice, the world they live in when things get in their circumference, it creates like harmony. So whenever I'm around people, you know, like you get around, like there's certain people you get around, you're funnier. There's certain people you get around and you're, you feel smarter. And, and mm. so with people like Krishnadas, I don't know. I think it's something like just being next to him, help me look at her and think, Oh, this isn't an enemy. This is a person who's scared. And as many people are, if they get really sucked into that conspiracy rabbit hole, not to say that it's not real, but if you go down too far and you don't like get your equilibrium, then you'll get really scared because you can, you, you can become unhinged. And so someone like that, you can feel compassion for and not like condescending either. If someone supports Trump, they have a reason for that. It doesn't automatically make them a monster or something horrible. It's just somebody who wants things to be better. You know, I'm not saying he's going to make things better, but if you like have voted for Trump, you didn't do that because you wanted things to be horrible. You did it because in your mind, you thought this is going to make things better for me and for the world. Mm -hmm. So nah, don't buy it. Oh, you don't think that? No, I think, I think it's, I think is that we've talked about this before. I think it's, it's, um, you, for me, you have to, you have, there has to be a line where, yeah, you think something's worse, but you can't validate behavior like that without being part of that behavior. Well, I think that the, fundamental point that we disagree on then yeah. is that like if there's a trump voter mm -hmm. and he goes to the voting booth or she goes to the voting booth millions and millions of people how many people no no it's 45 million 45 million people like that. so let's say of those 45 million people it's a safe bet mm -hmm. that there's a percentage that when they went to the voting booth they weren't thinking man i want to fuck shit up with my vote that's true yeah right so we know that when they went to the voting booth they thought to themselves this is the right thing to do mm. i believe in this this is the right thing to do and they were sure of it yeah and so their the intention was not was good they had a good intention there so that person has good intentions just like you whoever you voted for mm. had good intentions they wanted things to be better so if you come at it from that place mm -hmm. and you realize oh, okay this is a person who wanted the world to be better then instead of going on the attack which is certainly not going to help if you're talking to someone who has uh, gone far down the path of alex jones oh yeah you know it's not going to help to be like what's wrong with you mm -hmm. you dolt yeah that person is going to be like just dig their heels in deeper and you're going to be divided mm -hmm. instead of connecting because if you really want to change things for the better I'm sure you would agree that the best thing to do is to harmonize and connect with people. It's hard to find the compassionate side for me. And I think, and again, we've discussed this before on the podcast, is my younger brother is, is uh, learning disabled pretty severely. Yeah. And a lot of things posted online were, uh, I can't believe it didn't stop here when he made fun of that journalist. Because for me mm. as a person, you go, that's not cool and yeah again there's a lot of people music i listen to people i read said and done some fucked up things but it's there was there was no ownership of it and i have a feeling that if i talk to someone who um know a lot of 
NRA members who support PBS or people who are strictly conservative who voted and said, yeah, but like, I want this fiscal policy. Like, I get that. But if you say, I want this fiscal policy, but the person who is going to say it said, fuck that cripple. You know what I mean? Like in a public forum, I can't go, well, how do you... Where do you draw that line as a person? You know what I mean? Well, that's the slippery slope, right? Because yeah. like with Hillary Clinton, there's that famous video oh. of her mm-hmm. laughing over Gaddafi getting like sodomized with a knife. She's like, well, you know, we mm-hmm. came, we saw, we killed. And then Bernie Sanders saying he wants to keep a small cluster of troops in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so then you have a sort of <clears throat> interesting situation that every single one of them is uh, in some way or another murderous, culpable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, rotten. So... It's like, which kind of rotten do you want to pick? Do you want to pick rotten that makes fun of disabled people? Mm-hmm. Do you want to th- pick smooth rotten that, like, makes fun of people that they, like, m- murder? Yeah. Or do you want to pick, like, when you're socialist rotten who somehow still thinks we should give free education to people while keeping troops in Afghanistan? Well, dude, like Obama, it's like, uh, great, smooth guy. Uh had a kill list, like call drone kill lord. list, drone lord Obama. My God, drones. That's, that's something I actually, always got me with that. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's something I was actually curious to talk to you about. Um, so recently, with what you guys were talking about, is where do you draw the line in such events? And I found myself torn watching that video of uh, Richard Spencer, the white nationalist, being punched. Yeah, and kind of not for nothing, sucker punched when he wasn't looking yeah. and stuff like that. And mm. I'm like. In any normal context, I don't condone this. I think it's kind of a weak move. You know, there are many things about it I didn't like. But existentially, if this guy got what he wanted, me and my family would be incinerated from the earth. So I'm like, does should this guy get punched or not? Like, and where do you draw that line? was troubling for me because mm. there is a history of Jews not punching. Yes. And for someone who came up a couple generations after me, I'm like, should have been more punching. <laughs> and like, yeah, but you know about the Antifa, right? Like, you know, there, I got right after that happened because I was like going back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, what the fuck? You just, are we going to start punching these bastards or yeah. not? So I got a book. I found this book written in the 80s, an Antifa book. Um, about what they're all about. Okay. At least this book was purporting, it didn't seem like it would, it was like not what they were about. Like it was the, all about the anti-fascist movement, what it is, what its roots are in, and the theories behind it. And these are people who are, at least in this book, they're Marxists, mm-hmm. not like sneaky Marcus, Marxists, but they're like, they want to take down the state through violence and replace it with some kind of communist right. movement, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to look, if that's really what they are, and I'm not, again, I can only say I read this book. I didn't look deeper into it. Okay. So maybe th- there's different sects sure. of the Antifa. But if that book is true, then they don't want to stop with just punching fascists. They also want to like break, do violent things to create a situation where a communist government can appear, right. a Marxist co- communist government. And so then if you look at that, like under Stalin and the, like, I, I'm not sure because I was going through the kill list. You know, it's like, fun, you know, go through like who got the highest score as far as killing people. 
uh, when it comes to dictators, fascists. I think and it's Stalin. I think Stalin. Or Khmer Rouge, I think, probably. Right. I, I, can't, I think it's the... Right. Yeah. Right under that is Stalin. Yeah. Hitler actually is kind of like low, low on the scale there. So the problem with the uh, Antifa, at least the ones that I read... Uh, about is that they they so they're really into the idea of turbulence violence right. and they love they're like they love that people are like what yeah we can't stop punching they're like no we punch we break windows right. we fuck shit up because we think that the state or the capitalist state is completely corrupt that it's a monster that's spreading its evil tendrils all around the planet and it must be stopped. Yeah, I've always <laughs> I've always wondered about how much of that is reactionary and how much is necessary because I've heard those points of contention that say the civil rights movement isn't as effective without violence or the threat of violence. The um, Indians getting away from the British. At one point, it wasn't just Gandhi. There was violent resistance. The British were spread thin from war, so they literally couldn't physically uh, um, keep their hold over these people anymore. There were these sort of like physical constructs to it besides for the moral belief that actually led to change. And that's where I struggle in being like a true pacifist. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to be a true pacifist and actually move past like difficult things? Hmm. Did, did you read, you know, the you guys read Warren Ellis? You know him, comic book writer Warren Ellis? Yes. He, read, he wrote, wrote a great thing about it um, on his newsletter that it talked about a lot of talk about do you, should we punch Nazis in the face? Yeah. And a little like, should we punch Nazis in the face? And his answer was, you know what they support, you know what they believe. And the people that say it's okay, he wrote, he wrote, uh, are basically surplus to humanity, which I thought was such an incredible line, <laughs> which is very dour. But it ended with like, yeah, punch him in the face because, and again, I'm with Benny, like nonviolence, not is the way to go. But you know oh, what they're trying. What, trying- <laughs> what are you saying? No, you're I'm, saying punch. I'm more. saying nonviolence with like. A sprinkling of violence well, seems Gandhi to be fl- the effective way. Well, Gandhi flip flopped. He went. He started out <laughs> a little more aggressive than like there. To me, there's. I don't. I in the knowing of history, there doesn't seem to be much enacted change without that fear of a minimization of your own life, where this is actually going to start affecting you somehow. And I feel like that's not even possible sometimes without that threat and you can't make that threat possible without the actual action i mean it's kind of ineffective i think is the problem with it it's like right now it's ineffective right like there's a lot of clever things you could do there's a lot you know with a milo or milo it's milo Milo. Milo. so like with milo i like to me one of the most effective something far worse than someone getting punched in the face one of the most brutal things i ever saw as far as like activism goes is remember when they pep- they pepper sprayed those students who were sitting across yep. the sidewalk, oh God, yeah, yep. yeah. and then the chancellor of that school walks out to oh, go to yeah. her car, and like the whole college is sitting there silently watching her as she walks by. That was brutal. Like yeah. you could yeah. see that crushing her. Like it was the most awful thing for her. And <clears throat> if any of those students had jumped up and punched her. Then suddenly it would be like, oh shit, some of these students are violent. Maybe yeah. we do need authority figures here to pepper spray these sons of bitches. She can play the victim. Or the old classic, um, 
what's the activist's name? Abby Hoffman? Yeah. yeah. You know how he shut down the stock exchange? You know about that? He went in there. They used to be able to just, apparently there was like an observation bay. You could go up there and just watch. And he went up there with money, a bag of dollar bills, <laughs> and he dumped it on top of the stock exchange. And all the stockbrokers stopped doing what they were doing to try to grab the money. <laughs> and it shut down the fucking New York Stock Exchange for like five seconds, 20 yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah. But those, those kinds of, those, those acts are so, are the salt march, Gandhi's famous salt march, where you're, you know, they're arresting you. You're supposed to buy British salt, yet mm -hmm. there's salt all over fucking India. And so they're like, well, this is absolutely insane. You're not supposed to mine your own salt. So Gandhi just walks down to the beach where there's salt everywhere, <laughs> kneels down and lifts up salt out of the sand. And like he's mining salt. Mm -hmm. He's therefore breaking the law just for taking what's there on the ground. Mm -hmm. That's way more powerful than punching somebody. Sure. Way more effective. Is there a time when nailing somebody in the face is the right thing to do? Sure, of course. <laughs> I don't think there's a... I think you'd be insane to think that there's yeah. not a time when sometimes you do have to use physical force to detain yeah. someone who's going to cause a lot of damage. This is why we have bouncers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> no, I, I think... I mean, civil disobedience, you know, is a, it's cool because it's a very American thing, you know, like that discourse of, you know, Thoreau writing that and getting yeah. that started, which was, again, him... I'm not going to pay my taxes to stop this war, you know? Yeah. That influenced Gandhi, Martin Luther King, everybody. So it does... It's it's hard because it's like, it does work, but God, it seems like you've got to be really patient. Yeah. You know? Well, you got to get your heart in the right place, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you got to, like, really be so tuned in and, and compassionate. Yeah. I think it, once you figure out a way to really become truly compassionate, which I don't know many people who, it's so, it's such a painful state. I mean, you must be hurting all the time. Yeah. To be, then you have to deal with that shit. Like, oh, great. Now I can't fucking make an enemy out of these. How many people voted for Trump? <laughs> 45 <laughs> million. Uh, I mean, how glorious to have this like one. I mean, really, just how truly glorious it would be if those 45 million people were just like mollusk like cave people just <laughs> eating like all eating like go like going into fucking fields and and like like just like ripping cow legs off and just eating them and like screaming at the sky like mutated awful shit people like what if how great that would be because then we could truly deal with it like oh these are really shit people that's that's bad they shouldn't be allowed to vote their ship and yet it certainly isn't the case they're like they're it's wonderful true. people many of them are wonderful people who are who are like desperate or not desperate or th i've mm -hmm. seen the rally pit photos okay mm -hmm. and look are these people i necessarily would be like going dancing with or something probably not i don't go dancing that's why but oh it's really fun you should try i should go again i should go again but that you know what i'm saying man the problem is once you start get developing compassion and a person gets in front of you and you look at the person you're like oh shit you're wonderful and you're wearing a Trump hat. Yeah. You're wonderful. And you're wearing a Pepe t-shirt. You're wonderful. And you're a fucking skinhead. <laughs> oh, my God. How is my brain going to deal with this? The skinhead is even wonderful. Oh, fuck. Now we're in trouble. <laughs> because it's like now, you know what I mean? You're looking at all these different forms uh -huh. of you. 
Yeah. If only if you'd met the wrong person, if you'd gone down the wrong, and now it's like, well, now what am I going to fucking do? Well, so speaking the, of, oh, sorry, Ben. Uh, speaking of compassion, I mean, we're talking about Krishna Das, um, and obviously, like you studied with Ram Das a lot. What do you think it is about these gurus or certain people that have this, just this thing when you're around them? It's you can feel it, mm-hmm. like, yeah. What is that, man? I I just interviewed. Raymond Moody, who wrote this book, Life After Life. Yeah, we listened to it today. Yeah, I did too. So he, he, I got to, so you heard me, I asked him this question because I I volunteered for a hospice briefly. I think when I talked to him, it sounded like I I, I should have corrected him because I think he got the impression I did it for a long time. I I couldn't deal with it. It was too many, too many, too many people to die that you meet that die that are really sweet. And, uh, but one of this lady had Alzheimer's disease. She's dying. And uh, the room lit up with this glowing light. And, and it was like, as she was, so she would struggle against, her ego would struggle and she would constrict and the light would like leave the room. And she would like, you could see the ego stop fighting death and the room would light up. I saw it with my own eyes. I've thought about it all the time since. I start mentioning this to this to Moody and like before I finish, before I could even tell him, he's like, let me guess. There was some kind of light coming out of her. And I, because he's seen it so many times. Mm. Well, he said that's called, they used to have a name for that. It's called Fey Light. Fe, what do you, Fae. Fey. F-E-Y. F-E-Y, which means fairy light. It I think. does. I was going to say that's fairy. Yeah. Fey Light. Fairy Light. And so I think people like Ramdas, who've spent a long time probably disassembling their ego or maybe in the same state as someone who's dying because their ego is not really there. And then Mm -hmm. whatever there is behind the ego that's all covered up just sort of glows out of them. And that's why I think when you see pictures of, in the, of Buddha, Jesus, any saint, they always draw this halo around them because they've got this weird glow that comes out of them that like is unmistakable and unfakeable and, and amazing to be around you did a podcast which i sent to my mom which i think is the most amazing podcast i've ever listened to with your mom when she was sort of towards the end of her life yeah and you were interviewing her about it and she was saying it felt like being held yes i mean what did you feel that sort of light i mean during the i mean what was that sort of light i mean like emotionally it's crazy is your anyone here in the dead mom club i am so you know man it's like the craziest thing yeah you can't even it's no language for it. it's just i i fuck i mean i fucked up man i i i see like they're practicing a practice is really important because if you practice when your mom or dad dies you can really be there for them mm. but if you don't have a strong practice <clears throat> when your folks die you're gonna freak out maybe and you're not going to know how to deal with it. So you might go the Western route, which is to try to like, well, we must ease your pain. Get them on morphine, put them to sleep, you know, like not really be there with them in, in the right way because you're so scared. Mm. You're so in yourself. You're selfish. So uh, that sucks. And that's what I did. I did not have a... My mom was way more graceful when she was dying than I was graceful around her when she was dying, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. I was talking meditation practice. Yeah. Any kind of meditation practice. Yeah. 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 And then you can like be with someone when they're dying for real and like, like just be there instead of like, oh, you're going to be fine. 
Or, oh, I know, maybe just maybe she'll be all right. Maybe something will happen that she'll what, be. What, she, what happened? Cancer. Which one? Breasts went into her bones and then went into her, you know, the rest of her body. I feel like, like a lot of things in life, though, you're going to fuck up. The first few times shit like that happens to you, you know. That's what I why mean? we need more than one mom. Goddamn it! <laughs> <laughs> we need like healthy version, like three moms: a really sick one, then a mildly sick, and then a healthy one. So you practice with the first two. It yeah. is. It is true, though, Emil. I, I do. I had had some very tricky situations in my past that dealt with hospitals and medical things and stuff like that prior to my mom getting sick. And I did find in a weird way, like, prepared in a way I don't think a lot of people my age were, where, like, I think the normal things that would really freak you out in these scenarios, seeing the machines, seeing a human connected to these machines, seeing the sort of, I hate to say callous nature of the people around it, but doctors and nurses, they can't help it. They see it so much. that they're affected by it in such a far different way than you are. And I think, like, until you can have any understanding of that stuff, you can't look past any of that stuff. So I most felt lucky in that instance that I had seen a ton of shitty shit shit prior because it helped me get through that. But I do find it really interesting what you were saying about what that somebody who practices would need it the most in that situation. Yeah. When my mom was dying, I'm somebody who lightly practices. I do yoga a little, I breathe a little, but I've never fully committed. I've never like gone over. I've never done that. And I even found myself within the couple days around it being comforted by things I normally wouldn't. I remember the day we decided to take my mother off life support I couldn't stop looking outside. It was a beautiful day. It was blue out. I kept looking at trees and I kept looking at these things. And even talking about it now, I didn't realize the power of kind of like what was happening. And it was clear that I was like sort of being drawn to something. And uh, yeah, it is pretty bizarre, I guess, what can be pulled out of you in those those instances. I actually... If I could have a thought bubble, like like I just had a thought bubble pop in our conversation right now because you had mentioned that and automatically I thought of these trees. And this wasn't a beautiful place. This is fucking Edison, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at a fucking line of trees, but I'll yeah. still remember them. And there was something beautiful about it I could relate. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it crazy to like when you uh, enter into this like hyper you could call it a lot of different things but like a hypersensitive zone where you're like you really are actually super present and you're and you're appreciating life and you're like vibrating with this uh like as profound an energy as you've ever felt and then and then at some point you feel it kind of drift into the background as you you lower your concerns to some like basic obligation that you have to start doing and out of the corner of your eye you can see those trees and and the like you know this insanely 
deep world in the back of your peripheral vision still exists, but you're like, I don't have fucking time for that. Mm. Then you, do you remember those feelings of like coming down from like holy moments like that? It's a really strange thing. Man. Yeah. Dude, this past weekend, my, um, my dad died three years ago of cancer, um, the party. And, but he was in the military. So it took my mom a few years to decide what to do with him. And she, we buried him in Arlington cemetery. And mm. In a weird way, it was like, it took me this long to really let it sink in because like he died. We buried him like a week later. And I remember I could barely tell you what happened at the funeral. Like right. I, I wasn't there. I wasn't going on. Yeah. And this time was like this time, which is kind of crazy to say, because um, my mother has a very sick sense of humor and she kept his remains in the closet. So people say like, where can I pay my respects? And she'd go, you can come over if you want. You can, <laughs> you can hang out. In fact, the day of the burial if if you want if you want the definition of my sense of humor this is it this should be like the epitaph uh that's a weird one (laughs) we'll go back so my my mother had to bring down um we had to go the you go to arlington it was this crazy ceremony and uh she had to bring the remains cremains they call them and uh literally and she came downstairs and uh apparently somewhere along the line my mom had used baby powder for something yeah and my wife uh john and benny know uh looked at my mother and went what's that on your on your pants and without blinking my mom went oh it must be larry and just starts (laughs) patting patting her legs like this and everybody has lost it and everybody was in there but then of course you get to the ceremony and uh the military it's heavy shit you know like it's hardcore and my dad apparently had been in long enough had these accommodations so there was a full band and the horse and drawing all this stuff and i lost it because i didn't realize that part of his life was that heavy and uh it's exactly what emil was saying is that every every moment i I was there Right, right every moment i was there and um to watch these young guys who apparently at arlington you apply you petition to do that you have to want to be in the service to do the um mm-hmm. to do the burials to be in the band the bam look and there's a drummer you know and i'm like you asked for this gig wow and the ceremony is so and of course and it was raining it was like a michael bay fuck it was like a bruce springsteen song one of my friends said <sighs> he was like this is somebody's origin story and i was like shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yes well played nice work it's either uh, the beginning or the end exactly. of a michael like, bay movie. the whole thing <laughs> that i mean that so heavy. reminds me sort of of something related that came up during the q a session as well I, so my parents are both living i'm very thankful for that but Someone can't ask you, I mean, you were talking about sort of meditation versus psychedelics, if psychedelics can have a positive effect. I mean, yeah. having a, you were saying having a practice helps with that. I mean, do you think psychedelics can be helpful for that? or how do? Because sometimes I feel like psychedelics are like a lazy way of achieving stuff yeah. I should be working towards with a practice. Yeah. I feel so conflicted about it. Yeah, that sucks, huh? Like, they really got in their heads about <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, it, yeah. It's weird. Like, you have to feel like nobody feels lazy about dreaming or reading books or but somehow like psychedelics which by the way if you take a strong hit of acid that's fucking that could be work yeah. that can be a lot of <laughs> that's a Meals, lot of your meals sweat <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, not, it's not fun it's not fun right, it's i mean i don't fun. know why people think like taking psychedelics is like i guess people who 
maybe don't know and have just seen, yeah. oh, you just see, oh, you see pink elephants <laughs> dancing around. You laugh so hard. That's Dumbo. You're talking about the movie <laughs> yeah. Dumbo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but Dumbo gets drunk in that scene. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to correct people, but pink elephants was Anastasia, guys. Oh, oh wow. elephants is in Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, and actually gets, pink elephants uh, on parade is from uh, Winnie the Pooh. So, okay. I'm going to sit over here and just feel right. <laughs> it's like the know-it-all pink elephant guy. I have six-year-olds. <laughs> that is a sign of children. <laughs> you have children. But we, yeah, it's hard work. It's hard work to take a psychedelic and or candy. So I think psych, that, that that's a real path. And uh, where did that idea come from that it is, it is, it does stilt you? I felt like, well, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm just trying to relaying sort of what Krishnadas said because I was been thinking about this a lot. And he was basically like, it's a way to kind of glimpse into what's available, but you shouldn't really use it as a crutch. Like, there's other ways to get there. Yeah. You know, it's also just David Crosby said once that, uh, the reason why everybody got hooked on heroin and died, it, you know, as the 70s began, was because they just assumed that if the government was lying about pot, then all the stuff must be good, you mm. know? And so everybody was just like, fuck these motherfuckers, you know, I'm getting <laughs> wasted. Uh, it was all like this spiritual, like, it, it. the ship began sailing towards learning and towards evolution you know and then crosby wakes up with a fucking blowtorch like falling on his arm burning him and the house burns down you know um not a super profound ending and he has to admit that he has to hold up his hands and be like i fucked up you know because he's like a living walking mistake in so many (laughs) ways you know but so i think we're all like when you're talking about like my dad's dead too but i've never had that moment and I don't know when it's going to come. But someday, maybe I'll have that moment. I have this weird feeling I might not, though. But but that moment that keeps reminding me of Dostoevsky when they, um, you know, I don't think he was really, I don't know how religious he was, but when they put him up at, at the firing range and they put the guns to all their heads, the, like, uh, revolutionary writers that they had, like, squirreled out of a basement and said, we're going to kill you now. And they all, I think most of them went insane because right at the last second they shot and just turned their guns away like a few inches. And the whole time the bullet is essentially coming at Dostoevsky. He's like looking, I I don't know the story perfectly, but he's like looking in the distance and he's staring at this cross on top of a church, you know? And there's something about that, that moment you can, you can try to put yourself in that place. It's like this hyper real thing where you're looking outside, you're looking at the trees, very similar to Duncan's story. If you've ever heard his story about um, when he was diagnosed with, with cancer himself. And so he he was he was leaving the hospital and just trying to get a grip on some thoughts just to stabilize his fucking brain and he's like looking out at the world and and sort of in a way seeing the world for the first time in a right. way oh, you yeah. know and you're just fucking grasping shit and that moment you're so lucky to have it because that's when you really finally are fucking alive for a second. Sure. And then that goes away. 
you know, and you start thinking about like the fucking stock exchange and shit, but maybe taking acid, you know, the, the, the ambition, the sort of more pure ambition, at least if you're not just trying to see trails on a sad Thursday night or whatever, (laughs) but like, but like the ambition is to get to that moment, right? That moment where you're like, like you're maybe think you're going to die and you go beyond that, you know, and you're like, everything is super fucking hyper real. You realize you actually do love life and yourself and your fucking dad. And like, you're looking for that, that, that breakthrough thing. And so, yeah, certainly not a lazy thing in theory. Sacrament. Yeah. And this whole goddamn Uh, endless war with activating endogenous chemicals or using, I guess, exogenous chemicals to create some heightened state. And there's a there's a whole like Krishnadas articulated the rift in between what's what is I've heard called the psychedelic satsang and the spiritual satsang. So the psychedelic satsang, they will say, "Look, fucking gurus, what are you doing? Like putting your energy in some other person? No, it's all to be found within. And and you, we don't we don't have to like go down this like antiquated system." We, that 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 people like Krishnadas or Ramdas subscribe to, um, and and Krishnadas articulated the thing, which is like you're, it's an elevator that takes you to the top floor and then takes you back down. Therefore, it's somehow bad. Whereas, like I, I really love Terrence McKenna's idea, which is look, we're beings that are are pleasure beings. Like we should, we get to feel pleasure. We get to enjoy life. We get to. Uh, tune into whatever level of consciousness that we decide to and there's nothing lazy about it and there's nothing corrupt about it and it doesn't have to be for spiritual purposes it can be to see trails on some sad thursday night if you want it to it's not a it's it's not a thing to feel terrible about. I mean, one of the great gifts science has given us on this planet is LSD, a, a substance that uh, is so powerful and yet can be diluted to the point of uh, sub-experiential doses and still have a profound effect on you. Uh, and you can take it with, as far as we know so far, no neurological repercussions, no overdose. Now, of course, there's exceptions. People take it and maybe it activates some latent schizophrenia or who knows. Right. But in general, the data that we have from this substance, especially compared to the other uh, psychoactive chemicals out there, it's a it's harmless and p- profoundly beneficial, and apparently an antidepressant. And on top of that, uh, helps people overcome their fear of death. And on top of that, allows you to connect with other people and to redefine yourself because it's making all these new connections in your brain. And also. Lots of people are taking it. They're taking it in high-ranking positions in corporations for an, an added edge. Musicians take it. We know that. Artists take it. So I think that, uh, I guess what I'm saying is I, I, I severely disagree with Krishnadas on the, I, on his point there. Right. And, and I think that there, and I think that kind of, and I, again, he's an amazing human and I respect the path he's on because he's a beautiful being to be around. Sure. But I think when you throw stuff like that out there, you inadvertently infect people's minds with a kind of what I would consider to be, um, 
a, a potential potentially superstitious form of paranoia where now when i'm taking lsd i'm thinking well this is just a kind of a waste of time in the long run i should be sitting down and chanting and through this process of sitting down and chanting causing my brain to release oxytocin dopamine serotonin and all the variety of neurotransmitters that produce euphoric and profound states and somehow if i do that that, so if I go in front of the pharmacy in my brain and chant Hare Krishna a thousand times and my brain pharmacist is like, all right, here you go. Somehow that's better. Right. Well, I think this is another interesting paradox about you personally. Like, I feel like, you know, you talk a lot about struggling with meditation. You talk a lot about yes. eating cheeseburgers, whatever, playing yeah. video games. I yeah. mean, I think there's this perception like, how can you be spiritual, but you do this? Yeah, sure. I mean, how... Do, do you think it needs, like, you need to be sort of barefoot eating lentils in order no. to have that? I mean, and it, you need to be yourself. Right. You, like, the idea is, like, whatever the fuck you're doing, that's what you're doing. And where you're at right now is exactly where you're at. And all the things inside that you're hiding because you're scared of, yo, you're hiding them right now. Okay, that's fine. That's what you're doing. You're hiding shit from the world. Or all the things that you did that suck or you're going to do that suck or whatever it is. Again, you got to look at yourself like the Trump supporter. Find the compassion. Find the compassion for all the bullshit that you, you're up to right now in this particular iteration of the infinite times you're going to repeat this incarnation, which I think is pretty true. And I, man, that reminds me, I've been playing around with this new fucking theory, man. It's really fun. It's really fun. Multiverse theory, again, thought experiment. Not saying it, obvi- no way to prove it. You a comic sure. book fan? What? You a comic book fan? I, d- I love, um, I bet I, I love Grant Morrison. And course, yeah, you do. Yeah, he's the best. And uh, this, this, yeah, he is. But he's he goes there, man. Well, his books, are, his comic books are he he calls. Are you them big si- Invisibles fan? Yes, and he says they're sigils. Yes, you are. So, <laughs> so the the uh, so here's a fun experiment. I've been thinking about this concept of the multiverse, right? And it's an idea of like these infinite versions of you so we have this sort of process that you are part of right now we're all frames in this process and so on one side of the process we've got the very worst version of you the worst like the a fucking murderous just just the monster the monster whatever it could be like if every if you did everything wrong in every second for the last 15 years that version of you whatever that would be something akin to that mutant Trump supporter you you talked about before? Well, that Trump supporter was no, I'm thinking like Jeffrey Don like Oh, just a shit person. The worst you. For okay. those of you who gotcha. read comic books, you're talking about the Earth 3 version of Jonah where Superman is Ultraman and he's bad. Okay, there you go. There, there you go. go. Okay. okay, there you go. That. That's it. Okay. So that version <laughs> of you on that spectrum. And then you think somewhere there's the opposite of that. Right, the perfected version of you, where for you for how whatever happened happened, you became the Buddha. You had the great moment, the epiphany came to you. You actually came up with the next communist manifesto, but one that doesn't result in like massive amount of death, but actually somehow harmonizes everyone, transcends nationalities, religions, brings the planet together, allows us to become a class one civilization and achieve faster than light travel. That version of you or whatever, (laughs) something a million times better than that is on the spectrum. So that version of you 
theoretically, because it's transcendent time and space and it's ultimate perfection, could actually start communicating with you right now in the place that you're at right now. Hmm. So the idea is you play around with this notion of, well, what I've been doing, it's really fun, man. You look at yourself in the mirror and you you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, oh, I'm looking at an earlier, less advanced version of myself right now. This is a few steps back. The thing I'm looking at is actually a few frames backwards, but the thing that's looking at it is more perfected, more advanced, more filled with love, more filled with compassion, more filled with joy. And the universe that I'm looking into this alternate universe through is more filled with love, more filled with joy, more filled with compassion. So when you walk away from the mirror, you leave in the mirror the earlier version of yourself <laughs> and that entire universe behind and the universe that you walk out into is a little better. Try it. It's fucking cool. It's working? It works. It's really (laughs) cool because every time you do it, you leave a universe. Every time you walk away from the mirror, you leave behind this whole other universe and enter into a new one that's a little brighter, a little more beautiful, a little more connected, a little more uh, filled with synchronicities. And um, again, it's just a thought experiment. And yet it seems to work. And I'm going to stop this ramble and forgive me for going on too long. Uh, John Lilly, the creator of the float tank, would say that when he went into a float tank he went in in one universe and when he came out he came out in a brand new universe so enter the float tank multiverse spins around that tank come out you're in a brand new place well you don't have to get in a float tank to do that thought experiment you could just do it with a fucking mirror just by looking in the mirror and thinking oh yeah that's what i used to be but this that universe is the universe i used to live in but the universe that i'm in now is a little more beautiful a little more sweet a little more filled with any just try it. In I, order, it works in order to perfect what you're talking about would you need to be looking in the mirror with the knowledge of who you would like to be in the world you would like to live in? Like, do you need to previously have that in your head in order to get to the next? I don't think it needs... You could have the intention if you wanted to, but you could actually, if you do the experiment, you can stand there. And because the thing that you're looking at in the mirror, for me, for example, Mm -hmm. hairy, doughy, asymmetrical (laughs) love handles, that thing that I'm looking at... uh, uh, the thing that's looking at it i didn't realize you were naked in this well shit i stand in front of, it's like when i get out of the shower i'm <laughs> the fucking mirrors right there yeah, man like, let's see the worst case scenario <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking at that you, at the reflection you know because when we see ourselves in the mirror the first thing you think is oh this is my reflection of course that's what, what it is you move your hand the thing in the mirror moves i the usually same. go oh I just can't figure out what side I'm on. That's what always trips me out. Right. That's what I like. It's trippy, right? That's the thing. What side are you on? And that's really fun to play around with. Also playing around with the idea that the being gazing at the reflection is not the reflection. And so the being gazing at the reflection is this thing that you'll never see. And so that's just that you sort of harmonize with that because that thing it doesn't really care that you have asymmetrical love handles and it really doesn't care that you're hairy and it really doesn't care that your hair is thinning or you're going through the aging process or whatever. It's fucking wild and more than the thing that's being reflected. So that thing is what you become when you walk away from the mirror and you leave behind that other thing in the dimension on the other side of that mirror. And it's just fun. Again, 
is this it's just a thought experiment yeah i mean i don't know but it really just give it a shot i mean it's really have you ever done the tank the float tank yes i have i've done it john i've never done it i thought you did do it no i recommend that's great wanted to fun yeah it was because you do it's a whole it's a neat perspective i'm scared some sick bastard's gonna lock it when i'm in there i seriously it's like a real paranoia for me can you imagine i I yes that's why i won't do it i do a big one (laughs) i couldn't i I couldn't do like the small one i'd do like a bigger one Oh yeah, because I get I have severe claustrophobia that yeah. developed later in life. Earlier, didn't care. Whoa, now that I'm older, really? can't. I uh, get so tripped out. Jonah, same thing always happens. Me, me and Jonah have hit the Russian Turkish baths. Hey, have you been there yet? The Not Russian yet. Recently, I got, you got to come with us sometime. I'd love to. There's one sauna. I mean, it's so brutally hot. The Russian that, room. You know, you need to literally pour buckets of water on yourself Jesus. just to survive in there. And I'm like, I can't help but think. I'm like. What if just some sick fuck just locks us in from the outside? What a horribly effective way to uh, torture a bunch of people. I think that's like, in a Friday the 13th, right? Is that's it? like one yeah. of the classic kill scenes. So that's even worse if someone's already thought dude, about it. Dude, it's on the internet. It really yeah. happened. On, like, you know the video of the competitive sauna dudes? No. It's competitive sauna? Competitive sauna. Look it up. Dude, yeah. Look oh it up. If you, want, if you want another thing to add to your spank bang. Almost <laughs> as cool as like... But like that wouldn't have... That that combination of words wouldn't have popped up in my head. I don't doubt that it exists because whatever yeah. you're going to think of, what, spank, it's fucked bank? up. It's there. No, that. Oh my god! <laughs> so many common. deposits. Okay. So many deposits. <laughs> and so withdrawals. few withdrawals. Oh, no. okay. So few, but so <laughs> many deposits. But like the competitive stuff. Of course, that exists. Yeah. It's like when you find out about free diving. Yeah. Which is like every ten year old, but as an adult, like how how much can you hold your That's breath? Funny. Let's do it. Yeah, I also just define the Olympics. That's true, uh, Duncan. I had a question. I, I feel like I'm always doing this thing. Maybe you do this, where like I'm trying to change something, trying to change a behavior in order to like be a better person. Like yeah. I'm going to stop drinking, or I'm going to like not smoke weed, or I'm going to yeah. get up earlier. And I think I'm going to change my diet. This one thing, yeah, is going to change. It's going to like you things guys are, are kind of similar like that. Yeah. Every time I talk to you, you're doing something new. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like do you do that or like how what like what what is that? Like is that just is that just blind? Is is there any basis in that? Do you I don't know. What Well, I mean, there's if you're if you're doing something over and over again that's making you feel rotten. Right. Then definitely at least acknowledging, "Oh shit, this thing I keep doing is making me feel rotten." And then and then realize, you know, they're so, they're really like those guys, the Ramdas people have this f- crazy idea about it. I mean, Ramdas talks about this. It's really nuts. And it, it goes uh, counter to like a lot of like, it's kind of uncomfortable. There's a, a Ramdas on YouTube, there's Ramdas on addiction. And you could hear him kind of hesitating, like he doesn't want to say it. But then he just says it, which is like, look, you need to, you, you're go, you have to go through this. Like it's fucked up because I when I know addicts and alcoholics and it's like, man, telling them that they need to keep doing what they're doing. If you're drinking and you want to drink, oh, keep drinking. But they right. know that. Well, you ever, if you're around a real addict, they're like, they're like, I'm not going to stop. They right. they know that. Yeah, but they know when. Like I, I had um, I had this crazy experience in California where I was working for an acting coach and I got really drunk at like the christmas party yeah and by that i mean someone kept refilling my glass when i wasn't looking wow so then i wake up on their floor and she was an addict and she was like you got to go do 
these AA meetings if you're going to keep working for me. And I went, I'll call your bluff. And I went and I called up my friend who um, knew all the cool AA meetings to go to with all the yeah. musicians and people and that we all recognize and know. And she told me something very smart because she's like, one, you're not an addict, but this will be a cool experience. And it was an amazing experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But she said, a lot of people aren't done yet and only they know when they're done. Right. That That's what Ram Dass says. Yeah. He's like, look, you're if you are going through this shit and somehow the moment you kind of withdraw the guilt factor... And you're like, God, I guess I really do have this sickness and I'm going to go and keep poisoning myself. You know, I'm just going to do it. And then you're like doing it. It might get you done quicker just because you you sort of have removed the the whatever trick self-deception. It might get. Yeah, that's an interesting idea because you're not wrestling with all these other like peripheral demons. You're just getting down to the straight dope. My dad said that when you're back in the old days they would just give a kid all the candy they wanted and and he just totally threw up because he just ate as much as he wanted and he never ever wanted to eat again you it's know? The, it's a version of that yeah or just sort of like okay well alcoholism or or, or habitual alcohol drinking and i think there is a difference because i've talked to like hardcore alcoholics so like i if i have one drink i will wake up two weeks later in jail probably oh, yeah they have no concept of stopping a drink and yeah. saying i've had enough they know when the liquor stores close they get edgy like my friend was yeah. describing to me how like he and he was always doing this and i never realized what it was but he's like yeah you know at least in la i don't know where the you could probably buy beer here 24 7 but in la they shut down at two so he so the alcoholics at parties leave early enough to get to the liquor store to buy the booze for the rest of the night they can't just go home and not drink like they've got to drink for the rest of the night so but there's habitual alcoholism or you know you drink every night or whatever which is pretty fucked up right but it's sort of like which i i i do uh you know when i go to like do comedy i'll have a beer and then another beer i was gonna say fuck off man i'm like sitting right here <laughs> <laughs> no man it's like it, 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 but it's like but 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 the next day i'll feel like shit man and like so what i do is i think oh here we go i guess it's time to have the seizure again you know where you're like doing this movement that the socks and makes you feel bad but i'm gonna do it because i guess this is the thing i'm doing and then I, I would like to, I think that that has in some way or another broken the pattern a few times. And that's great. But I think it's, I guess, to summarize. Yeah, if you make yourself better, nothing wrong with stopping something or trying to like work on, but just know when you're doing it that like why you're doing it. And maybe, I don't know, man. Well, I had an experience well, where my therapist, oh, sorry, man. Well, I was going to bring up, I mean, Jonah, like I know pretty well at this point, and I can, Nothing's going to work. Well, no, I mean, I've seen a lot of... Same Brain way. transplant. I've seen these changes. Like, I didn't even text Jonah today, hey, you going to bring a J-bone for after? Because I'm like, it may or may not be one of the months you that could, Jonah smoked weed. Right. I'm not sure. But... I'm also like, unaware that we did that. But yeah. I do... Oh, yeah, I, we never do that. I love the, uh, you know, I love the idea of, like, growing through life and constantly self-improving... Yeah. getting yourself to different points but when is it debilitating to just not be okay with whatever the fuck right you're doing? right right there you go and that's what you i know? struggle with there I you go like. well that's the and then then you realize oh my god there's even a 
another reason to practice. Because maybe if I practiced, I could actually get drunk and not feel guilty about it. Right. Maybe if I practiced, I could like indulge my hedonistic desires with with a, a joyfulness behind it. Is is as destructive as it may be. Is it with a gleefulness behind it? Maybe then, because the truth is, if you're not enjoying those moments of indulgence, you're probably not enjoying other moments either. You're probably right. guilty all mm-hmm. the fucking time. Well, you know, it's really interesting. My therapist was like, "Think about what you did when you were younger that brought you joy." And this was you were talking, and she, I was like, "Well, I rode my bike," and then I listened to. It your podcast when you were still in LA and you were like, I got a bike. It's changed my whole life. Dopamine machines. Yeah. But it's weird. (laughs) Like it sounds like such a simple thing. That'd be the best bicycling podcast. Yeah. Name by the way. What's up? This is dopamine machines. (laughs) It's a fucking, it's anyone wants it. You're flying down little paths that you like. It's amazing. I, my bike is sitting, I, as soon as it warms up, I'm going to start, I'm right by prospect park. So I'm going to pedaling through there. I can't wait. But like how hardcore are you? You like, (laughs) not at all. Hardcore biker? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, what I'm like you got the spandex. No, I have, but I remember when I got into it, man, I got, you know, at first you pedal by the spandex men yeah, yeah. and you're like, what are they doing? And then <laughs> and after then you a get few some weeks, you're serious like, ass chafing going on. Yes. You're like, I get the padded I get asses the, I on get these it. things. I yeah. get it. And also the just the idea of like, you just want to fly, man. You want to like <laughs> just strapping that shit on and just like allowing yourself to become part. Also, you it, it's bright. That's the shit they wear stands out, man. Right. You're not going to miss a guy wearing. So is that is that you or are you just like just cruising? Oh, cruising. See, I'm that's, cruising. See, that's what I'm with you. Because I like I'm with you. Like I like riding. I like riding my bike, and I'm teaching my children to ride bikes yeah, right cool. now. But we all have cruisers. You know what I mean? Like Cruise. there's nothing. <laughs> All the other kids have like dirt bikes, and we all have beach cruisers. No fixed gears, no, no. just chilling. Roll. That's what I like: yeah. pedaling down, enjoying the wind in my face. You know, I love that. That's I never got deep in. You're are you deep in biking? Yeah. Oh no, no. I mean, it's, it's very not casual. that dissimilar very from casual. the from the deprivation tank or something. You know, these are these are gnostic devices or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're devices we use to get out of our selves when yeah. we're we've just like we're in a complete rut you know and, and it just totally do you, gets you, you places do, you faster <clears throat> well i've been i mean the point we're at in in drifter sympathy right now is when uh me and duncan are in college and and he's coming in my room and and i'm just living in the black dark and oh, i yeah. don't exist anymore and so <clears throat> Very slowly, I began to figure out, you know, when I was a kid, I was a skateboarder, so I have an intrinsic, I don't know, understanding of like, you know, when I'm on a sidewalk, I'm like aware of everything and I can kind of, I move differently than mm. normal people, the way that they see curbs and, and trees. And so there was this tree and I just ran at it and ran up it like sideways, you know, and grabbed this limb that was pretty high and just every day i started like running at this tree and climbing up like about 80 feet up into the north carolina forest essentially and just as a practice it was unreal because it was 100 percent dependable that if Mm -hmm. i was in my room and i didn't exist that if i just 
put my body in this situation where it it just once it touched the tree which symbolizes a lot you know sure. it symbolizes yeah. the 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 contact with the earth you're really finally putting your hands into the soil and you understand what the earth is and and how you're on it you know and you can you can feel your feet on the fucking ground and so as i would hit the the limbs and my body just naturally wanted to get to the top by the time i get to the top i could never ever remember like anything that was bothering me mm. just it just wasn't possible like this somehow the ritual would take me completely out of all the stupid places i i loved to you know prison sell myself away and so you know there was a lot of things like that but rituals like taking baths or something where i sort of like it's almost like i came into my body down from some sort of apollinaic the rafters of my brain and deposited myself into the world you know and, and in a sense the bike and the 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 tank you know and all these things i mean maybe it's maybe it's acid for somebody sometimes it's weed but you know those things stop working when you abuse them you know and i've abused all these things you know and so eventually you find a new thing and part of your question i think has a lot to do with hopping from device to device and there are people that probably do that until the day they die and never maybe truly address the root cause mm. never really see what it is that's causing the the fundamental dissonance or, or something mm. they never climb the tree does <laughs> yeah. it refine the tree <laughs> or oh. your dress well, well you brought see, that's a big, that's a good point actually and that's something i want to, to that's talk a sad, about sad story <laughs> well it's and and i wonder because you talk about the tree and a bike and these other things and i wonder if part of it is not only how familiar you are with these things but the fact that you are almost born once you you your conscience at all excuse me conscious at all you understand not only what these things are but what their exact purpose is like a tree is not fooling anyone right. it's there it's there for this purpose and and this is pressing right now cuz uh, a very good friend of mine just within 2 weeks ago uh found out she had a brain tumor mm. um and within 2 days of finding it was being operated on removed 80% of this tumor it's a very it's a long tail but she has i mean an incredible perspective on the situation she's looking at it really academically really like conscious about what her brain's doing and I spoke to her a day after the surgery and she said the most, I didn't know what she was saying in an email. She said, my new best friend is the clock in the room. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a post-surgery thing and yeah. she's just not making sense and this and that. And when I finally spoke to her, she said that, and this is not a confused person, it's a very smart person, very articulate. And a doctor had come in the room with a mask on their chin and because this mask wasn't where it was supposed to be, her brain couldn't connect it right now. She didn't, was confused by the mask and the face because they weren't where they were supposed to be. So her brain wasn't allowing it to comprehend it. Right. And then she would look at the clock. Just this thing that's like, it's there. You know it's there. And its exact purpose is being 
is functioning at all times. So that was her one constant that she could go to. And I wonder if the things with the tree, if it's more, this just represents like some, some permanence, some, right. Like almost like a, a Buddhist truth in the sense that like, I feel like one of the main things is, is a young person when you encounter that, like the four noble truths and shit is like, you're like, okay, like, Maybe I need to slice off with a razor blade all these concerns in my life that that are emotionally like turning me over because I I invest myself in totally unreal depend independent like undependable things and so yeah maybe like you reach for this you find one day you find something because it's you know are you ever really going to be able to trust anyone completely or yourself? No, really? Probably not. I mean, but you, but you find something that somehow symbolizes something that will really actually sort of never change. Or it's right. just like, and, that, and not that you necessarily need that in particular, but like my relationship with art is that. Like my my hermetic practice of going in my dorm room back then and, and up to now and ever since I can really even remember is like using that four track like essentially like a a consistent mirror in my relationship with that thing like some cheesy old saying like stevie ray vaughn would say (laughs) you know my wife would say i'm gonna have to marry that guitar and he's just like this guitar will never leave me you know it'll never it'll never (laughs) cheat on me and and in a sense yeah maybe that tree is just it's a sense it's a symbol of in a way, you know, God, but also like the bottom of our evolution. It's like it's like I could mm. see the chain, you know, and I could see myself in the world or somehow for mm. the first time. Mm. So, yeah, this so, sounds like you're going out on a limb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just surprised Jonah didn't go for that earlier. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Jonah's in Duncan's got Jonah in a deep trance. He's yeah, not man, in pun land. It. I guess <laughs> usually Jonah's dropping puns. Oh, right now. I am usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if if my friend comes to me and they're like, I'm on this new, you know, drug and this shit's going to save me or right. whatever, I guess I would probably feel a little worried about them because I would just think, you know, that's just going to cycle through onto the next device. If, you know, if they're really highly functioning, and they seem super happy. I guess that's one thing. But a lot of people aren't that are also medicating themselves. So you're sort of like, well, is it working? You know? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm in a, I was in a band with, with a guy who was like on the heaviest meds you can take. And I, everybody around him was watching him take them. And it was a pretty serious situation. And, uh, you know, life or death to some degree. And everybody's walking on eggshells because you're like, well, he needs to, he needs to take this because he's not right. And, you know, his doctor says this and that. And one day at some point I was just like, you know, it's just, it felt really weird to say, but I was like, I think you need to stop taking that shit, man. Hmm. Cause look at you, (laughs) you're not happy at all on any level at all. So as 
a professional thinker, not a doctor, but as someone who's witnessing you and is really just like asking myself, like, is this even like worth living like this? Hmm. It just seemed kind of like, no. Yeah. And then he got off it and he's doing way, way better. But, you know, it just, you got to think like, I don't know if the whole like, I've never found the tree thing. That's a sad story. If you never find the tree, that's like, you know. I mean, I don't know. Never found an outlet or something. Right. Obviously, you're a musician, professional <laughs> podcaster. Right. Uh, wonderful looking man. But <laughs> it's it just seems like what I'm saying is like uh, most people do scurry around the surface uh, for their whole life, you know, tripping over the real shit the whole time. Like mm. Never really actually looking down at the thing that they really are looking for, you know. And and so I think as a friend it would be a bummer if I just kind of watched you keep experimenting but not getting down to it. But here's what's interesting, the getting down to a thing, right? But then like you get into these Zen freaks and they're all like, oh, you'll never find the fucking tree. Like, that tree, there ain't no tree. You're not going to find the tree. And in, in fact, that feeling of not having a thing to cling to as your tree is the feeling of hum- being a human being. Mm. And that's a really hard nut to, or hard, hard nut to bite. That's a, that's a bitter nut. Because like, <laughs> because you, a dream is of the tree. Right, the dream is right. oh, we find the tree, and uh, I did it. I found the tree, but then <clears throat> this is something that Chogim Trumpa talks about, and infuriates me. But <laughs> I love it, and it, and and what he says is, it's just like okay, so you want to find the moment of glory, uh, you want to find the moment of attainment, achievement. This is it, and he says, so what that is, anytime you've figured out the place that you to stand on. And again, not to diminish your your, your tree, not to d- diminish my own trees that I use. But what Jogim Trumpa says is, you're like someone standing on razors who's in so much pain, you've manufactured a false beam in the room. Mm. And now you've climbed onto that beam and 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 you're essentially pretending that the beam has kept you away from the pain of impermanence or from the pain of not really ever knowing, not really ever being able to cling, not ever being able to hold on. And so that fluidity, the fluctuating state that you, and again, in the same way, like as long as you're beating yourself up about the, whatever the thing is, you're going to beat yourself up about this thing too. I don't have a tree. And maybe that's just an attempt to escape from the fact that you can't escape from the fact that everything's the tree or nothing's the tree. <laughs> you know, you right. want to break it up. Okay, now I've got it. Now, I, now I've got it. Now I've got it. But then when you've got it, you don't even really have it. And when you don't have it, you've got it. And so that's the place to get to. It's just like, oh, shit, you know what? I'm just this right now. This is it right now that yeah but that is why is that so difficult it's crazy hard it's <laughs> well, so well but it's, hard. is it hard i mean it's like you put your feet on the ground and you feel your feet in your shoes and you think this is it right now is everything this place right now all of us sitting here in front of these microphones is the sum total of all things we're at the crest of the wave of somethingness 
This is all that of the somethingness there'll ever be. <laughs> there'll never be any more somethingness than this. There'll never be less than this because this is it. I I know this feeling that you're talking about though, and it's it's sort of the weird negative image of being there, where you're just sitting there and you're like, I mean, I'm not trying to speak for you, but I know this no, this feeling where you're sort of like, man, it'd be cool to be right here doing what I'm doing if I was. But you are, but you're not. <laughs> I was just on tour somewhere. I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, when you're when you get to go to like uh, Switzerland and and um, Turkey, and I was just in Ireland and all these places, and they're all enlightened in Switzerland, <laughs> right? Fuck, I know, that. but but it's no, crazy. but like you have these, <laughs> you have these kind of like perfect images of this one time you ate reindeer meatballs and like the potatoes were just so and the the peas were in the gravy and like you just have this image of like what it's like to go to switzerland in Mm. your mind you know like it could be like topless swiss miss girls like clinging like fucking beer steins you know it's (laughs) like this and in your mind it's not even that thing but that thing symbolizes like like an enlightenment moment where you're right. like, bam, yeah. that shit is like what it's all about. Yeah. I love doing that. I love walking across that bridge in Prague. Like in your mind, you've got this image. And so then I was there, literally mm-hmm. there in the image. And I was like, I lost my train of thought, you know, that I was actually in Switzerland, you know, probably light, lightly snowing by my favorite bridge, you know. Right right on the water where I, where I like to go in my mind. <laughs> I lost my train of thought and I kind of forgot I was there. And then my mind was like, God, it'd be so rad to be there ah, that's <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> at that one place <laughs> that you like. And then I was like, shit, I'm, I'm actually there, but I am never going to be there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Or you're there thinking about, ugh, I gotta leave soon. There you go. And when or like, will uh, then the weather be now? wasn't perfect. Uh, right. Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> when that's it, because it's always that thing in Switzerland, and 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 even the moment this con- the disequilibrium you may feel, or the especially like, well, I'm here, but I'm not here. Well, then I love that part because I love the not here part. Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's think about the not here part. What is that? And what, you know, and then this is where we start getting into the observer, you know, mm-hmm. the, the watcher. Right. And the watcher is just watching this thing. And the watcher is watching your confusion or the particular part of the process that you're in right now. And it's, it's not judging you. It's not trying to get you out of it any more than it's ever tried to get you out of any time that you've been in that place. It's just, this is where you're at. And this is okay. And I really like, stories of Neem Karoli Baba because they say that when he would look at you, he would see the part of you that you that what that the part of you that's like, I'm here at the the snow is falling and this is life or the part of you that just got diagnosed with cancer and it's like, oh my God, this is really just a dream, an impermanent dream. What a beautiful, precious thing. Even like I'm in fucking traffic on La Cienega, and this is the most beautiful, perfect thing I've ever seen because I realize I'm going to die. 
And then, but he would see it all the time. Like he was always looking, he would look into that and see it in you like, oh, you're there right now. You're there right now. And then from being around that, you would feel it and you would be there. I mm-hmm. guess because he loved you or something. I don't know. But anyway, man. It does seem funny that like, <sighs> that people pay, you know, $80 or, or in your show's case, like 25 bucks or something to like come up to a mic and like ask a question, you know. Well, it doesn't cost to ask the question. It costs to buy the ticket just to clarify. <laughs> yeah. the we ain't charging per question. It's That'd like be downright satanic. I mean, personally. <laughs> ask me a question, get an autograph. We've glossy. got a credit card swiper in front of the mic. Am I going to get a bill for this podcast? Yes! <laughs> like, yes! yes. Uh, and, but, but, you know, to, to, to pay this money and to to ask walk up to the mic and be like you know and coming from this this position that we're all in you know what i mean it's no different than the person on the stage you know yeah and so to walk up to the mic and be frustrated with this question um that we all struggle with of of not being like present at your own fucking mom's funeral and all the shit you know that we all go through this shit and the only difference, maybe, if the person's even like this really truly wise, you know, sage that's being asked this question up on the stage, um, which is already kind of perverse, but they're like, they're the, exactly the same, go through the same exact thing, but maybe find it slightly more amusing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, when they yeah. when they're going through it, they're just like, "Ah, fuck that! I'm not going to listen to that voice." That's the only difference. Yeah, you know, like they're going through the same exact thing, but they just don't take it as seriously, and they let themselves be themselves. Or they, or or another way to put it might be like this is something I, I always refer to Ram Das, but this is something he says I love, which is like people come up to me and they say, "Ram Das, are you happy?" <laughs> and I'll think about it, and I'll think, "Yeah, yeah, I'm happy." And then people come and be like, Ramdas, you seem sad. Are you sad? And I'll think about it and be like, yeah, I'm brokenhearted. And people come up and be like, you seem angry. I am angry. I'm really angry because I'm feeling all these things at once. I'm on all these different levels at once. And when, and I'm allowing myself to open up to that contradiction that I could be angry and in love and sad and as happy as i've ever been in my and life not in love and not in love and yeah. it's all happening in this one moment and i'm tuning in to the whichever one of those me's i want to be in that specific moment and maybe that's the person on stage and i have to say there are things about it that in times i've thought is perverse to go to sit in the chairs and Ramdas is up there and you're looking at him and loving him and feeling it. But then I realize, oh, he's playing a game. And he's doing this game with the intent the intent behind it is at least on one level loving. But then another part of him I think probably thinks showbiz. And you know what I mean? <laughs> another part of him, you know, he's doing a show. It's a theater. Yeah. But it's right. also, there's other things going on at the same time, you know? And sometimes you need that interaction, too. You know, you need that game. I remember when I Skyped with him for the first time, one of my first questions was, are you my guru? And he smiled, and he's like, okay, fine, I'm your guru. 
Now what? <laughs> you know, like what? It's nothing. It's now what? We okay, fine. But it's just a game, you know. And it's a game that he calls a self-destructing trap, which is that when you're a good practice, you eventually get to the point where you're like, I don't, I don't think that that's for me anymore. And then because the thing exploded, it like you grew, and now it's like, yeah, that's not my. Thing. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I sometimes fluctuate with it. With the Ramdas stuff, I can't. Ex- it's impossible for me to get to that point because every time I go to these fucking retreats, there's so much love. And like, anytime I get really, you know, like we're talking about this, like, um, what is it? You have static and you can touch something. You don't have static anymore. What's that called? People use it for like a grounding. Emo, what's that thing called when you have static and you touch something and you don't have static anymore? You mean like it's like canceling out of phase almost or something? I've got a grounding. Grounding, grounding. Sorry, I got a little thing. Like it's a little. It's a little. uh, It looks like a little mouse pad that I ordered because I got this computer repair kit. And it's like a little ground thing where if I touch it, apparently it's going to make it so I don't have static. So. That's what the Ramdas stuff is for me. I go there and it's like, oh, okay. Okay, I remember, you know. So no, it is not self-destructed for me. Or maybe it just takes a minute, right? I mean... Oh, Satanism. Oh. I got into a satanic phase. And I was like, oh, this is fucking right on, man. <laughs> I get this shit. This is right on. Like, I get it. This is the earth power. What the fuck was I thinking? This is it. And then, like, over time, I'm like, man... I sure take a lot of fucking Vicodin when I'm being satanic. <laughs> you know, like maybe maybe it's... just all of those phases or whatever would would carry a lot more weight if if you just went all the fucking way. You know what I mean? If you just within the you know, you went to the source of, of the, the vibe and the knowledge and you went all the right. fucking way yeah. instead of just wearing the robe around. You know well, what I mean? It seems like you have to muck through all that to, to, right. to find your way. People get so into the training wheels, you right. know. It's just like, uh, it's really unattractive. Yeah. Uh, we used to go to, we both studied under this um, monk in Asheville. And oh, yeah. it was great. It was a great time. And I just never felt, you know, like that feeling like maybe you, you're not a hardcore yogic devotee but like i just never felt like oh this is my thing you know i'm i'm totally found my my family you know whereas there was other people always there who were climbing the rungs Mm -hmm. you know and they seemed way way too into like earning like a new colored belt right and wearing it around as a you know a form of superiority and going rattling on about the shit they'd memorized and stuff and it was just so easy to walk in and walk right out and be like yeah i'm not i just don't find that very interesting that's yeah. a very literal you know level to to stay at you know and it just i don't know it, it, if you're going to go into something that's that's a problem with ever since we started this podcast like you guys are talking about politics and and schools of thought and Antifa and all that stuff. And it's just kind of like, I can't imagine trusting someone so much. Right. Tr- trusting a school of thought, like a Marxist school of thought. No, it doesn't matter what the fuck it is. 
bring it back down to like the the molecular level of just trusting someone else's mind, right? Like if you know Jonah tried to sell me on like this new thing, you know, like look at the world, you know, he sat me down one night, we're kind of high. He's like, "Don't you ever think like we should just kind of slash into it with this new philosophy?" I mean, I just can't imagine being like, yeah, this will pan out fine. Like, we'll just start fucking, you know, performing some sort of weird black magic on the stock market. And it's going to work out fine. I just can't imagine that level of insanity. This is what I struggle with. And it's something I want to talk to Duncan about because I've heard you talk about this before in your podcast, which is sometimes having the inability of going all the way. Yeah. Where, like, making that turn where you're, like, all the way this. And even something you said before, like, you said that sometimes when you were talking about the psychedelic drugs, how it can make you be scared to be yourself. And I feel like there's only so many... Wait, what did I say? Yeah, what did you say? (laughs) You you said that um, some of the... I guess I was connecting what you were saying as the rules i suppose that are put on this and the idea that the psychedelics are actually clouding where you're supposed to go rather than helping you get there well, yeah people or you're say cheating that. to get i don't there think so- that though. no i know you don't and okay. i actually ever when you were mentioning that in your podcast even a long time ago i was relieved when you said that you're not because something i've struggled with is if i look into anything long enough yeah and enough people are into it and enough stuff starts to get written about it, I automatically go to, to what are these fucking damn rules, man. Too, di- too many rules. Like, right. like, how am I supposed to go on some journey when there's this many people telling me what to do? And I don't, the whole reason I'm going on this journey is because I don't trust any of you people. Right. You know, the reason I'm going on this path is because... The dogma doesn't make sense to me. The construct doesn't yeah. make sense to me in how it fits with people. Yeah. But all those leaders started like that, you know, which just points to the fact that that's the path worth taking, you know, is making your own, you know, and actually going out there alone with nothing, no training wheels, you know. But they came back down from the mountain and then they said, you know what? I don't think little kids should run, you know. Then they put that up on the wall. Right. No running, you know, or whatever. That's that school of thought. But then, you know, you broke off and you fucking make your own. You know, that's that's like the source of what they did, you know. And there you go. I mean, that's the funny thing. Like when I hear you saying, you know, I don't like these rules. Then I think, oh, well, there you've established the first rule of your religion. <laughs> no <laughs> rules. Yeah, yeah. It's true. So, it's so, true. And, and then, and then, uh, and then the other funny thing about it is like going all the way. Well, you've gone all the way. Where you're at right now, you've gone all the way in exactly what you are. You have reached the apex of, of where you are at this moment. You are hardcore into yourself. You dress <laughs> away a certain way that only you dress. You, uh, you do things that only you do, I'm sure. And this is hardcore. Mm. It's so hardcore that if anyone else tried to do it, I bet they couldn't. And so there you are. But so the difference is that you're not like the confusing thing about it is you don't have like you're not wearing orange robes or you don't have some you're not identifying with some group 
And yet still, you, this is it. Right now, I'm as hardcore as I'm ever going to be. Hmm. This is it. I'm right now at the very peak of peak Duncanness, <laughs> and, and, and if a fucking meteor hits right now... That's it. That's it's it. like eating a lot of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia, <laughs> watching Fat Albert, yeah. and drawing sketches of Harold from Mama's Family. <laughs> Not many people can do that so well. well How yeah. did you know Tuesday night for me? That's insane. But it's fun because there is a dream of like ultimate clarity. Right. You know, there is the dream of like, oh yeah, I'm going to have the, dis- the di- I'm going to disappear into the swamp of Dagobah and meet the little <laughs> green guy and come back a Jedi Knight. But maybe you will. Yeah. But th- if you do, then this will just be as much a part of the process as that was. And maybe this is part of the process. Mm-hmm. And maybe you are in the swamp, except the swamp is human incarnation. And the little green guy is giving you this entire life as a form of teaching. And 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 there isn't a... This is the swamp. Right. And simultaneously the escape from the swamp. You know, but this... It's much bigger than the story. The story is fucking cool. I love right. the story. We disappear. See, you go off into the nothingness. <laughs> there you become the thing. You emerge into society. Reborn and shift all of life on Earth. That's the narcissistic fantasy. But maybe the deeper thing that's happening or the archetype is that consciousness itself has descended into form and that in this descent into form it's going through these billions of trials and tribulations and at the end of all of these trials and tribulations after infinite aeons of disassembling and reassembling atoms that sometimes become sentient and sometimes are just just fucking carbon molecules drifting through space there is some true emergence from the darkness and the universe itself comes out as a brand new thing reborn from this never-ending endless uh swirling of molecules into awareness (laughs) and non-awareness into remembering and forgetting you know that's the bigger idea we're just atoms in the body of some super entity that's sitting under the Bodhi tree. Or maybe we're <laughs> atoms of the Buddha pre-enlightenment. Or maybe we're atoms of Jesus as he's crucified. A lot of people say that. Some people say that, that we're actually... I don't know that one. We're the hallucination of Christ in the final moments on the cross. Oh. So when God is dying, when a God dies, it explodes into a universe, into an infinite number of universes. And the that's suffering... Have you ever heard we're in the sailboat in the magic eye? Do you know that one? I don't know this one either. And you That's know, a good unfocus one. Unfocus your eyes. <laughs> you know that Dave Matthews, the first cover where it's just a peace sign? I'm glad to say I don't know that either. Yeah. Well, well that's, that's the best that's cover. That's what we are. We're the peace sign. We are all Dave Matthews. Well, we are. Also, no right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the funny thing. We probably are. That's the thing. We're all everybody else. We're everybody. We're the shit falling from his tour bus. Yeah. <laughs> We're the shit and the the music. And and, and uh. it's cool. It's an, it's an interesting thought, though. So you'll take all the pressure off yourself, you know, so that you don't have to, like, have this dream of some... some anyway, you could just the, imagine that right now the, you're the broad the awakening. Yeah. I mean, I looked for it. I got the first time I ever went on an airplane was when I graduated high school at 17 and my aunt was living in California uh, and she flew me out to California to drive around for a week. Now, the story behind it, my aunt is a rabbi and 
at the time I was going through a serious like existential crisis, basically a crippling fear of death. Mm. And I had it in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to California for a week with my aunt, who's a rabbi, who clearly just knows about this stuff. I'll drive around for a week, get all the answers I need. I'll be in a good place by the end. And then case closed, you know? And I remember like leaving the week with about 40 times more questions than I had when I started going, ah, shit, this is going to be hard. I got a lot more work to do. Yeah. (laughs) But that's the thing that confuses me about it is sometimes when I hear people talk about the path, it's like without all these preset (coughs) dogmatic conditions that exist or have been created, like if you were just sitting there alone with none of these conditions ever hitting a person... How the fuck are you even supposed to know to go through this path? How are you even supposed to know the direction to go in? Mm. And it's almost as if these these constructs that were all built for us, I guess basically being all the religions singularly, were, were made with good intentions and turned into these benchmarks. If you go into it too hardcore, there's too much dogma, there's too many rules. But if it's not there at all... I don't understand how you're even supposed to drift to this place. You're supposed to go on your own. Mm. So what do you do with that? Well, you want to, the, I mean, the problem with putting religions is like some singular thing is, I mean, and also the religion thing too is weird, right? Because you're right. It is one of the things you said is someone came up with this, right? Well, no one came up with it. It, it was, it's stories that fermented right. and broke into a lot of different pieces and those stories fermented even more and then produce what we call, you know, these patterns that are religion. It's a form of, it's just a, a pattern. People are repeating this pattern. Sure. So it wasn't one person, it was a groups of people over time. And so then you have to, okay, well, religion, who cares anyway, you know? <laughs> You could shove that away because you're still just stuck with this. Like, well, here we are, right? right? Here you are. The person, and you think, oh, if I was a a person alone with just like sitting in some room, how am I going to go on the path anyway, right? Well, I mean, in a way you are alone, even right now, you know, like me and all these people around you at any given moment do... I don't know if they make you feel... I know that sometimes I can be around a huge group of people. It's a cliche thing to say. And feel absolutely dreadfully alone. Oh, yeah. Sure. Almost indicating that proximity to people seems to have absolutely no correlation to my levels of aloneness. Yeah. Yeah, I can agree with that. So then it's like, all right, well, then what the fuck am I anyway? Because if I think about being surrounded by people, God damn it, guess who I'm surrounded by the most? Myself. Myself. This fucking thing is like always on top of me. (laughs) It looks like me. (laughs) So I've got this goddamn thing on me all the time. And that thing underneath it seems to interact with it in such a way that a feeling of loneliness is produced. Sometimes a feeling of self is produced. So this is a confusing situation. (laughs) And as far as like, well, what path, which way to go or what, what thing to do? Maybe part of the game that you are playing with yourself is giving yourself the impression that there is a way to go or a thing to do. 
Yeah, it seems kind of like yeah. as a survivalist, you're just you're just out there either way, and then one day somebody comes to you and tells you the story of a survivalist in the distant past that like went around that edge of these rocks that you've never been around, mm. and you're like, go off on some huge dedicated journey, you know, in seek of this story or whatever, which. Does that help you? You got on the other side of the rock, and you're wiser either way. Yeah. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Just for having gone to the other side yeah. of the rock. That's so you it. had the story, you didn't. Sure. You're in the process. Right. We're all in the, we're all in the fucking centrifuge. We're all being processed. Right now, we're all being processed by a universe that, that is going to reconfigure us. So no matter what, it doesn't matter if you achieve enlightenment, you will be reconfigured. In, in the most extreme way. Sure. And you'll be reconfigured to the point of complete dissolution. Right. And you will be, and, and no one will remember you eventually. Yep. And no one will remember any of us. And no one will remember planet Earth because planet Earth will be reconfigured. And that's, whatever's left of that reconfiguration will be reconfigured and reconfigured. And you are in a process that is of which this thing that you're calling yourself is one minute and yet incredibly powerful uh, aspect of, holy shit, you're a self here. You know, I'm a self. So it's a very funny thing to be a universe in the process of reconfiguration. <laughs> and in this minute moment of self-awareness to think, I've got to reconfigure myself right now. <laughs> totally. i got to get those reindeer meatballs. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? It's yeah. hilarious, really. Yeah, yeah. To think that the... But yet, it's interesting, as they say, as above, so below. So we feel almost the intent of the entire universe in our very being, because mm. there is this feeling of like, right. I've got to perfect, I've got to reconfigure, I've got to make better. And, and, and so we feel this process in ourselves and in the micro, we are attempting to do it in our own little ways. Right. It's just how much pressure do you need to put on yourself? And do you need to put pressure on yourself? Is the pressure efficient, pragmatic, useful, or is it really just a, a form of resistance to the bigger picture? Mm -hmm. If I put pressure on myself to reconfigure now, maybe I won't die. If I put pressure on myself to achieve some ultimate state now, perhaps I can avoid that moment of like death. I don't know why you're why I'm doing why any of us are doing, but but you hit that moment where you get throw off the bridle or the burdensome mythology of achieving some ultimate realization. And in those moments, for me, it's like, oh, this is fucking great. Right. I'm just a fucking. Dude watching Fat Albert eating Ben and Jerry's and it's fucking heaven. I'm in heaven. No running. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much to Duncan and Emil for coming by. Uh, check out Duncan on the road. Uh, he tours a lot doing stand-up. Um, he also does a lot of live podcasts and you can... Of course, listen to his podcast, The Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Um, and thanks to Emil. Please check out our podcast, Unfurl Audio Drifter Sympathy, and Emil's awesome bands. We actually just saw, me and, me and this Steven just saw uh, Holy Sons play with Mono the other night. It was amazing. In Brooklyn. And oh, it was really? really great. Yeah. Really, really good. Where was it? It was at the Music Hall of Williamsburg. Uh huh. 
Um, Heard of that place. And uh, yeah, and the drummer is Adam, who is a guy who delivered the coffee from Stumptown to Rubber Tracks. And oh, who really? I, and who I played in a band with in yeah, the rehearsal yeah. room. Yeah. So, really great show. Um, yeah, definitely check out that new Holy Sons record. It's amazing. Recorded by last week's guest, John Agnello. Nice. Um, wow, what a what a wrap-up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, uh, if, you, if you dug this podcast, definitely... Um, Definitely uh, tell your friends. You can uh, donate to us via Venmo to help pay for our server costs for our 250 plus episodes. Venmo at Off Track, O F F T R A C K. If it's a link to Brad Worrell's bank account, you know it's going to Brad, <laughs> and then not much else you know. And I think uh, there's also some uh, there's some ways to donate via other methods. On yeah, other you website. can donate from our site. Is that right, Brad? I think so. Goingofftrack.com. Goingofftrack.com. Uh, or if you see us, you can just give us money. You can just toss cash at Some us. Of, a couple times, people have bought me beers. Yeah, you you seem to you seem to get more out of it than than yeah. some of us. Yeah, You're the face. Some of yeah. us who, are, are, who stay I, home and go to bed at you know ten thirty. Totally, it's definitely been <laughs> worth it to get those three free beers over the last six years. <laughs> hey man, it's good to be loved, John. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, or if you don't want to spend any money or buy us beer, uh, you can uh, just you know subscribe on iTunes, leave us a comment. Um, there's a lot of other ways you can support the podcast. So thanks for listening. Thanks to Duncan and Emo for coming by. Thanks to Pulse Music. And uh, yeah, we'll have another episode next Wednesday. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.